This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seibin, and it's time for your weekly wrap-up once again. And I want to begin first, as we always do, by thanking our newest Patreon supporters. We have Jason Niefer, Joshua Schlockley, and we also have David Caddy back for another week, who gave via the tip jar. He actually got himself into gold-level supporter territory, and he wanted to tell everyone he's got a great tech podcast called Tangential Soup. You can hear him at tsp.fm, so check that out. I want to thank everyone who's contributed to the channel on a regular basis, as well as everyone who watches on a regular basis, too, because watching is just as important to uh, grow this channel as contributing financially. So I want to thank everyone again for your continued support. Now, we have a non-ad this week. I hope to have a new ad up next week from a different advertiser. I did want to uh, get some things worked out before I finish that uh, ad copy out yet, and Fiscal Dynamics will be back. Uh, This week, we'll have an affiliate link once again to Blue Apron, which you probably hear a lot about on different podcasts, and I thought I would share with you what I am getting next week. We've got barbecued, actually two weeks from now, barbecued baked chicken, spicy Korean chicken bao, and Italian sausage and peppers, quite an array of different types of food from all over the world that I will be cooking and making a mess with upstairs in the kitchen. I really enjoy this, especially now that I am self-employed, because uh, once I'm done working on stuff for the day, I can go upstairs and cook dinner for the family, which is just an awesome thing. Uh, It does take a little time to get everything prepped, so you should uh, really look at this if you've got the time during the week to do it. You can uh, select up to, I think, six meals a week. Uh, or you can do something as little as two meals. If you only have time once or twice a week to cook, or maybe you want to cook on the weekend and have some leftovers for the rest of the week, uh, you can time it out however you wish. But definitely worth checking out, and we get a small commission if you go for it. So this week on the Extras channel, you saw a bunch of unboxings, and they were all PC unboxings that you'll see in one shape or another. In fact, one of those uh, PCs we've already reviewed. I also had some footage from the Moto Mod 360 camera, which is that attachment for the Moto Z2 Force phone that I reviewed. Reviewed. Works pretty nicely. It integrates directly with that phone, and I'm really looking forward to seeing when they get their uh, social media streaming from it, because I think it'd be kind of cool to stream a 360 video from a device like that phone uh, directly to a Facebook or YouTube account. So once that is working, I will uh, maybe do a test stream with that. Uh, so we did get a look at that Moto Mod camera in a full review on the main channel, which you can check out. What's funny is the 360 cameras really don't seem to be of interest to subscribers, but I do pick up uh, some search traffic from those along the way. I did repost or actually just unlocked my Moto Z2 Force review. I'll talk more about that in a minute because we had that uh, issue where I jumped the embargo by accident last week. I also took a very detailed look at the new Sling Studio. Uh, This is a live streaming device that allows you to bring in up to four camera sources simultaneously. And what's unique about it is that you can bring in those camera sources wirelessly. And I could see this being really interesting for schools like uh, basketball games and that kind of thing because you can send people down on the court uh, with an iPhone, for example, and get that stuff integrated into your broadcast. I think it's super cool. It's got a lot of neat potential, and uh, it's not all that expensive, at least compared to something like the TriCaster that I use here. So it might be worth taking a look at. We also got a look at the Jumper Easy Pad 6. This is another one of those cheap PCs from China. It has a variable price on GearBest, depending on when you 
you pop in. I've seen it for as low as $185. It has an Atom Cherry Trail processor and a 1080p display that is detachable, as you can see here in the thumbnail. So I know a lot of you are into this stuff, so check it out. It might be a fun secondary PC to play around with. And as always, I say, buy those at your own risk. And I finally got my big DVR on the cheap video posted. And this was a lot of fun to make because I had uh, looked at the Raspberry Pi as a solution for in-home TV watching probably about three or four years ago when I first embarked on this big journey to uh, detach Comcast equipment from my house. And uh, things have come a long way because now you've got a really decent version of Kodi called Libre Elec that will boot up directly on this little device. The plug-in, the add-on for the HD Home Run DVR works very well on it. It really performs very quickly. I was surprised by just how good this was. So if you are looking for ways to uh, cut down your cost, uh, your overall investment into your uh, cord cutting or cord shaving stuff, this one might be a good solution, especially for some of the secondary TVs around the house, like your kitchen TV or something. Uh, You can buy a bunch of these for 35 bucks a piece, plus a few accessories, and you are ready to go and you can control it all from your smartphone. It does also work with HDMI CEC, which I'll be experimenting with probably on the Extras channel coming up in the week. So uh, be on the lookout for that and subscribe to that channel if you want to see me try to get it to uh, work with my TV remote control. And one of the things that I love about this series is that I get so many great questions and comments almost from the moment I click the upload button. And I got a couple of things here that I did not address in the video that I did want to cover here. Uh, Tactical Power 88 said this overview was not as simple or as cheap as it could be, uh, he recommends maybe going out and looking at a generic Android TV box. And I thought about talking about that. The problem is, is that uh, the user's experience will not be the same universally, because if someone chooses a box, for example, that may have omitted MPEG hardware 2 decoding, that will make it kind of useless as an over-the-air reception device. I guess they're fast enough now to do that in software, but there are no guarantees that it will do that. And MPEG 2 decoding is not something that uh, these manufacturers are focused on, nor do they often talk about it that much in the uh, product specifications. Uh, the other issue I had, and this is a great example of it, is what I experienced with the Amazon Fire Stick. Now, that's certainly not a generic device by any means, but this is a good example of some of the issues users might run into. So my second-generation Fire TV stick uh, did not de-interlace the video on my television, so everything looked uh, wavy and uh, messed up, especially during fast-motion scenes. Yet other viewers wrote in to say that theirs worked just fine. So I really couldn't recommend that as an option, even though it's an only, only a $40 device. I would have loved to. Uh, so there's really just a lot of, difference of differences of experience that uh, users might get. But I know the Raspberry Pi is going to work if you uh, follow the directions. So that was why I didn't go in that uh, area with this video. But I do want to find a few boxes that I can recommend that are maybe under $50. So I'll get a few in maybe from Gearbest and start playing around with it and see. Now, the other thing I, I have an issue with with these generic boxes is that they don't do Netflix very well. In fact, many of these boxes are no longer allowing you to have it installed through the Google Play Store. Uh, other boxes, Many of them are running with the tablet interface of Android, which means that you're not even going to get the full experience with Netflix. Even if you did have it installed in your box, you won't get 4K video, for example, and you'll have a a tablet interface to navigate around with it. So just the overall quality and the overall experience with it uh, just doesn't make it worth something, I think, that I can recommend at this point, but I'm always open to ideas. But a few people did write in with some suggestions that I would be a little more comfortable with. Uh, Tristan Leonard reminds us about the Mi Box, which I reviewed a few months ago. And uh, Manaras, I hope I got your name right, Suazo uh, recommends maybe looking at the Nexus Player, which is uh, very available once again. I thought they had discontinued it, but it's there and you can buy it at walmart.com right now for about 
uh, $62 or so. And I like the Nexus Player a lot. It's a great device. It is powered by an Intel Atom processor. I'm not sure how much longer we'll see Atom processors running Android, but uh, this is a very solid device. It does work, at least in my experience, with Ethernet plugged in through its USB port. You do have to get an OTG cable and then a a USB to Ethernet cable, but that would be the way to go. I've used this uh, setup before. It's worked very well. I have found that the Ethernet does work better via USB on the Nexus Player than it did on the Mi Box. And that link, by the way, is an affiliate link over to Walmart where you can pick one up for uh, 62 bucks right now. So if you had to choose between the Mi Box and the Nexus Player, I would go with the Nexus Player. These are running the Android TV version of Android. So you get Netflix and all the other uh, good stuff the way it should be presented to you. So I can feel comfortable recommending that. They will work on Wi-Fi provided your signal is good enough. And you really want to make sure you've got a very strong uh, AC wireless connection, especially if you're doing over-the-air broadcasting. You can mitigate some of the Wi-Fi difficulties if you look at the HD Home Run Extend box, which does have some built-in transcoding to make those uh, streams a little smaller for your network. But it does get more complicated with Wi-Fi. So if you can connect with Ethernet or connect with Ethernet through Mocha, as I've talked about, that's probably the way to go. So now it's time for the On My Mind segment. This is week 22 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. Uh, Last week, you'll remember that we had a little issue with my Z2 Force review, which is that Moto phone. Apparently, they had a full review embargo in place when I posted the review initially about two weeks ago. I had to make the video private until the embargo lifted last Thursday at 9 a.m., so I made it public right around that time. We had a lot of views initially when I posted it a little too early. Uh, That big drop was when I made it private, and then that little blip over here is when it re-emerged. Now, part of the issue here, too, on my channel is that when I post a video, I get a ton of traffic initially from all of you, so I usually get anywhere from uh, four to 5,000 views from subscribers on the things that I upload, even though it's a very small portion of my subscriber base. I'll talk about this in a second. Uh, that's about what I see every time I post a video. It then drops for a while, and then about two or three weeks later, it starts to pick up again as the uh, algorithm swoops it into search better, and it starts suggesting the video to uh, against other videos also. So I'm going to wait it out a little bit and see uh, if we get that, that re-bump there. I would have probably had uh, maybe seven or 8,000 views on this if I had just left it up. So I maybe lost about 4,000 views on this initially, but I just want to make sure it just doesn't disappear from the world completely like it appears to be right now. So if you want, go and watch the video for me, and uh, that'll help the channel out a little bit. And now it's time for some things in the news. And speaking of TV boxes, YouTube updated their Android TV app to version 2.0. And as Android police report here, it really sucks. I have to say that. There's just no other way to describe this update other than it's terrible. Uh, What it is is a web wrapper now for the... Uh, the web-based version of their TV interface. And that's problem number one. It runs slower. It just doesn't feel as smooth. It certainly doesn't have the material design that we've gotten used to on uh, the Android apps on that platform. Presumably, they will be moving the web version to uh, material design for everyone soon. But in the interim, you're kind of taking a step backwards in uh, the overall interface. But for me, the biggest problem is that I can't browse YouTube on my TV with my Lon.TV brand account. And that's how I watch YouTube. And I don't comment usually from my TV set, but if I'm watching something on my phone and then want to uh, come back to it later, like my favorite, one of my favorite channels, GameSack, they tend to run for 20 or 30 minutes. So I want to maybe watch five or 10 minutes on my phone and catch the rest on the TV. It's no longer syncing up because I can't log in with my brand account 
on my television. It's become a real problem for me. I am using Chromecasting now as an alternative, but I, I just like to browse YouTube TV with my remote control on my NVIDIA Shield, and I can't do that now, and I didn't ask for this. It just updated itself automatically. So gripe over, but make sure if you haven't uh, gotten this version of YouTube on your Android TV box, turn your automatic updates off so you don't get it. It's terrible, and they need to fix it ASAP. And if you're a fan of the channel ReRes, you know he's been working on a controller called the All Controller that will work with just about any game console and PC out there, even Android devices. And uh, Shane Lewis, who runs ReRes, sent us an early prototype of that controller a few months ago. I did a full uh, workup on it uh, for the channel so you could see how it works and everything. And now it looks like they've got their Kickstarter off the ground that you can find uh, linked down below there. I have uh, pledged my bucks already, so I will be getting one in to review when it comes out. But I know a lot of you were eager to get into this Kickstarter, so uh, now it is up. Uh, one of the things that I like about what they're doing here is that they had the product largely developed before they launched the Kickstarter, which means that they took a good chunk of the risk uh, to get this product put together and uh, designed and working, actually, which is something a lot of Kickstarters don't do, which is why I'm talking about it. Usually, whenever I get a pitch from a PR firm about a Kickstarter, I say, hey, send me the prototype. I'll be happy to take a look at it. Nobody's got a prototype because they want the backers to pay for all of that product development. That didn't happen here, so I'm a little more comfortable and confident uh, that this project will be completed. And when it's done, we will take a look at it here on the channel. Now, last week on the channel, we were talking about how IoT devices have been very effective for law enforcement because investigators can subpoena data that these devices collect about us and figure out uh, where we have been, and it's become a very effective crime-fighting tool. Well, here's another example of something that I hadn't even thought about before involving satellite radio. Uh, so a car got stolen from a test drive in Massachusetts, and the police were able to track the car down based on its Sirius radio that was built into the car. I had no idea that Sirius radio tracked people's whereabouts, but apparently it does. And I would imagine it's tracking your information, whether you're a subscriber or not. In fact, uh, most of the cars that I've owned in the last eight years or so have had a Sirius radio built in. I haven't paid for the service, but you can listen to its demo thing going. So the uh, hardware is active all the time, apparently. And this was how they were able uh, to find this guy's car. And I looked up an article on TechDirt, which is a great site for this kind of stuff if you're into uh, privacy. And apparently this has been going on for the last 15 years or so. So this has been a very effective uh, mechanism for law enforcement to track the whereabouts of people's vehicles, which is uh, concerning to some degree. But what surprised me after I started looking into Sirius XM's financial filings is the reach of this company. They have uh, still over 30 million subscribers here in the United States. Part of it is, is that you sign up and it's just like a recurring payment. I think my wife was using it for a while and it was an annual thing that they charged you. So uh, people just don't cancel it, I think, and that might be part of this. But over 30 million people, most of them paying for that subscription. And then they're in 75% of all new vehicles sold in the United States. That is a staggering figure. Uh, and 31% of used vehicles sold in 2016, presumably all the cars that uh, they've been getting their radios into over the years. And I would imagine they're hoping a lot of people who have that radio pre-installed when they get the car convert. I know when I buy a new car, they uh, usually give you a six-month trial run with their service, which I never renew. But I know a lot of people probably do because maybe they find a station or two that they like. But those are big numbers. And I can't imagine that they're not trying to do something with the data they're generating from all of these radios in all of these cars throughout the country. Uh, they also recently acquired Automatic, which makes one of those little diagnostic plugs that you pop into your 
car's diagnostic port. In fact, I reviewed that device a few months ago. Uh, that thing was, you, you paid for it once, and then it had a cellular radio. It went over 3G, uh, which communicates data back to the server. And uh, part of what makes that device work is that they're able to aggregate data from different vehicles and sell that data to manufacturers. That's why the service is free. So I'm going to reach out to Sirius and see if they get back to us about uh, what they're collecting, even from people that are not subscribed to their service, and maybe some ways that we can disable that if we don't wish to be sending them data from our vehicles without any kind of compensation. Now it's time for some Q&A, and our first question here comes in from Real342, who wanted to ask some questions about video editing. And this is a question I get quite a bit on my different PC reviews. And we're in a period of time now where even the low-end stuff can edit video. But the question is how well and at what resolution. And I put a little matrix together based on my personal experiences editing video on these different platforms. So I want to start with the super low-end stuff, those $200 computers we look at, running the Atoms, the Pentiums, and the Celerons. Uh, You could probably get by doing some light 1080p video editing on those, believe it or not. In fact, I did a video about that a few years ago, which I'll link to down below. It was great for stringing clips together, but once you get into filters and effects and everything, it slows down to a crawl. So if you're just trying to get a couple of things strung together, I think you could probably get by on a cheap PC. And some of you may have done more with that, but you really run into issues rendering and transcoding and all the other stuff that you might do on a fancier video. Uh, Next on the list is a Core M uh, machine or one of the fanless i5s and i7s that used to be called Core M. Uh, You could probably do a little bit of 4K editing on those provided you're just stringing clips together. Uh, 1080p, you could actually get some work done provided you get uh, the videos transcoded ahead of time. And I have edited video before on this Core M-powered MacBook on the train going back and forth to New York City to one of the many events that I go to. I edit on this quite frequently. Now, the video that I get out of my TriCaster does not need to be transcoded to work with my editing software. So my advice would be if you have a beefier computer, have get all the videos transcoded for you first and then take them with you on an external drive or something if you are uh, using one of those Core M or fanless i5 or i7 processors. But it really slows down to a crawl on the output. So editing was actually a nice experience, but when I went to export even like a seven or eight minute video, it took forever because these chips are fanless and they slow down the hotter they get. So it's a very long time to output video and FX, of course, not recommended on this either. But if you've got something like an Intel i5, which is in many of the computers we've looked at at the mid-range this year, I think it's actually good for just about everything. You might see some performance issues with doing special effects because some of them are optimized, especially in After Effects for GPUs. But uh, by and large, a current generation i5 processor with 8 or 16 gigabytes of RAM is going to get by just fine. I would recommend the 16 gigs or more versus the 8. But if you are just looking for a portable editing station, I think you're going to do very well with the current generation Intel chip, even down at the i3 level. Best performance, though, of course, will be with an i7. They're really well-tuned for video editing. So if you're looking for a video editing device, uh, look for one with an i7 processor and better uh, try to find one with a GPU. But video editing is not the heavy load it used to be. And again, even on something for $200, you could probably put together something pretty basic but usable. And this next question kind of cracked me up, but I always love an opportunity to talk about uh, the business of running a channel and some of the things that I'm thinking about as I do all this stuff here every 
day. And Pincidian here says, hey, are you going to quit YouTube because my view count is going lower and the subscriber count is growing at a very slow rate? But uh, this channel grows at a very steady rate. It is slow, but it's steady and it's very predictable. And that is what you want in any kind of business that you want to grow over the long term is uh, steady growth that uh, has a foundation that gets built from uh, every day. And every day I'm adding anywhere from 75 to 100 subscribers. And that's been the pace I've been at uh, for probably the last two years or so. And that's okay with me because I'm in this for the long haul and I really want to build something of quality and I don't want to fizzle out uh, very quickly after hitting some viral thing that uh, might get me a couple of weeks of attention but then goes down to nothing. I just kind of want to be there uh, all the time on the things that you're looking for. And what was funny was that a couple of days later, unrelated to that comment, I got this note from a subscriber, Tommy Van Pelt, which kind of sums up uh, some of the challenges of running a channel with a lot of diverse topics, which is not every review, as he mentions, is of interest to him, but more often than not, the next one is. And this is why, uh, based on my subscriber count, why my view count is so low per video. Now, typically, the YouTube count runs behind real time, so I'm seeing, again, about anywhere from three to 5,000 views per video when I upload, but that's a pretty low ratio compared to other channels with the same subscriber numbers that I have. But those channels typically are more focused on a singular topic uh, versus mine, which is very diverse. So just like Tommy here, not everything is going to appeal to him. So a smaller subset of my subscriber base is going to find an interest in every video that I do, which is one of the challenges here. However, uh, viewership is strong. In fact, it's been pretty steady, just like my subscriber growth is. So I get about a million views a month, about 100,000 views ahead of where I was last year, which is not bad. I would like to see more views, of course, but I'm going to take what I can get here. And I did want to show you just kind of the overall graphs here. I went to socialblade.com, which is a great site for uh, tracking your favorite YouTubers. So on the top here is my uh, total views per month graph. And down below here are the number of monthly subs that I got. I did have a pretty bad month uh, about... Uh, two months ago, I think April was, uh, was a bad month for me, both in subscribers and for viewership. In fact, uh, it was the first month that I went below a million views. I had 900,000 or something that month, but it's quickly gone back up again. And my fate largely relies upon the products that I have available to me to review. And if things tank in the marketplace, I don't get a lot of views as a result because most of my traffic comes from people searching or the suggested videos that come through. So uh, those are some of the things that I live and die on. So even though my uh, videos early in life don't get watched all that much over time, as people discover the videos when they're searching for something specifically or YouTube suggests it to them, uh, the video grows substantially. So here's a great example of one of those things. I talk about printers on the channel from time to time. It's probably the least uh, interesting topic to subscribers. And uh, this is an example of a printer review that I did back in October of 2014. Uh, the first month views were 1,200. Uh, the subscriber views, I, I took a look at the subscriber views, were like less than 100. It was like 92. It was next to nothing. And I only had, I actually had about 20,000 subscribers at the time that I posted that. So uh, very low uh, subscriber viewership. But look at the growth over time on this video to the point that I now have 310,000 views because uh, YouTube keeps putting this up for people that are looking for information on this printer. And more often than not, they're having a problem with it and are coming to the video to try to figure out if they can uh, watch the video to get the problem solved, which is partly why my videos tend to be so long for my reviews, because 
I'm not going to do well competing with The Verge or some other channel with a six-minute review, but I will do well if I can kind of own that product and really show all the intricacies as to how it works, which is also why I put an index down below in the video description. So uh, that gives you an idea as to what happens to these videos over time and why the initial views look low. But if you come back a few months later, uh, many of these videos are doing much better. Now, one of the things I've been focused on this year is trying to improve the ratio of subscriber to non-subscriber views. And 2017, as you can see here, I'm making some progress there. So 15% of the viewership of this channel in 2017 has come from subscribers, whereas only 10% at this time last year did. So that's a good step in the right direction. What's funny is I met Marcus Brownlee a couple of years ago at a Motorola phone event, incidentally, and he and I were talking about this ratio. His was the inverse of mine. Most of his views came from subscribers, whereas uh, less came from non-subscribers. But it looks like I've always just done better in search just because I started later than he did, and I've been uh, mostly doing things that people are looking for, which is how you all found me. But now that I have a, a pretty sizable uh, subscription base, I'm really trying to improve the relationship here. And uh, it's partly why I do a longer wrap-up. It's also why I've been looking at uh, prioritizing the things that I cover here on the channel based on how uh, past experiences have been with those topics on uh, my first 48 hours after an upload. I look a lot at my real-time counter. I can see just how quickly something engages all of you. I can also see the quality of the comments that I get, which is why this DVR thing is getting so detailed because I'm getting a lot of great comments back and also seeing some really good results in the first 24 to 48 hours of those videos being uploaded. So I'm prioritizing based on that. I've got stuff sitting on the floor here. It's been here for two months that interests me, but I know does not interest a huge subset of the audience. So I've been prioritizing other things before I get to that one. Even though that one will do really well in search over a long period of time, it can wait because, I'm, again, I'm really trying to improve this uh, number here. Another thing that really intrigued me in looking at some of this data today is that uh, where I was in 2014 with demographics is slightly different than where I am now. And this is not a bad thing. Um, so you can see here the growth in uh, different age groups from one July to the next year. So this is July 2014 on the top, and this is July 2017 on the bottom. You can see that my growth among uh, 17, uh, 13 to 17 year olds and 18 to 24 year olds is down. But my growth on 45 to 54-year-olds is up pretty substantially here, as it is in the older bracket of 55 to 64. And I think this is lining up uh, with older demographics coming to YouTube. And I think I'm very well positioned uh, there, given my age, given the set here. What's funny is, is that older viewers react very positively to my retro wall of uh, fame back there, whereas younger viewers often criticize it. It's really kind of funny how that plays out, but this really is kind of a symbol of who I am and uh, where I'm at in life, and I think a lot of other people who want to relate to a creator will uh, probably find some things in common with me based on uh, the things that I grew up with, which are all behind me on the wall back there, and it's kind of panning out here. So I certainly love my younger viewers. I definitely do not want to discourage you from watching this channel. I really need you to help me uh, interpret the world these days, but it looks like the growth here is coming from some of the newer people coming onto this platform, and as the YouTube audience matures, I think I'm going to do much better overall because uh, this is a new audience coming in. They're going to be drawn to people that are of similar age to them who share similar interests, and I think I'm pretty well positioned there. And this is an indicator when we look at one July to the other here that uh, things are very different on YouTube, especially when it comes to attracting new audiences that are older. And that leads us to our final question of the night, which comes from Greg Ernst, who's curious if I spend any time doing competitive intelligence on similar YouTube tech review channels to decide how to steer topics or format and whatnot. 
and generally I don't. I certainly do watch a lot of YouTube tech content, both retro tech and current tech, and that of course probably influences me in what I talk to you all about, but I try not to uh, have a style that emulates anybody else's style. I don't think a lot of people are doing the live switching thing like I'm doing here right now, going between the computer and the screen in real time. I don't spend a lot of time in my production quality, which um, certainly might hurt me in some areas, but in other areas I think is actually helping me because I can produce more content uh, week to week than many other creators do who spend a lot more time making their stuff look polished and shiny. I try to just make it good enough to get uh, the right content out to you that will tell you what I think about something, and that's really been my focus. So I try not to emulate anybody per se because I think everyone needs to develop their own style based on who they are and what their skill sets are. I just lack the skills to do something as uh, nice as Marcus Brownlee does. And I see a lot of people uh, trying to emulate what he does in their reviews. A lot of newer channels do that. And I don't know if that's the path to success. I think you gotta find what really works for you. Now, I did have some influences that really kind of drove me to uh, take this more seriously. The first one uh, was Classic Game Room. And the reason why I really uh, took an interest in this channel, first of all, I love it. It's just an entertaining channel. I really like Mark who uh, produces the content. And that was like my first clue was like, wow, I really like the guy that's doing this stuff. Uh, even though he's showing me the game that I was looking for in a search till I found him the first time, uh, his content was really engaging with me because I liked him. And uh, that was a real connection to what he was doing there. And what I liked about what was going on with his channel was that he didn't go crazy with the production quality. He had a shot of him at the beginning kind of introducing what he was talking about and then he went into the uh, rest of the review and at the time that I was really uh, first engaging with Mark's channel I was noticing that videos I did with me in it on my early experimentations with YouTube product reviewing uh, things that had me in it on camera were doing much better than the things that just had me holding my phone uh, talking behind the camera and uh, Mark's uh, setup here where it was him introducing the topic and then diving into it was something that I thought I should do in some similar way and that's what I did because uh, I really wanted to get searches, searchers coming to me because I was not a celebrity. I'm still not a celebrity. Um, so people had to find me somehow and they're going to find me from the product and the only way to get them to engage was to develop that relationship and I really felt like the relationship that Mark was developing through the camera to me uh, was something that I needed to think about doing myself in my own way, which was what uh, led me to start doing uh, my format. My format is not, as, not the same as his because he's a lot funnier than I am, but um, that thing where I'm here, hey, it's me, I'm going to introduce what I'm talking about, uh, that intro thing really came from Mark's channel where I, you know, the first thing people see is me and then we get into the topic at hand. So that was the first thing that really got me. And then from just an overall engagement thing, I know he's a fan of this channel now, uh, is Metal Jesus Rocks. And he's got uh, a channel that really sticks to a lot of retro gaming stuff. And what I liked about his channel, again, it wasn't uh, massively overproduced. It was very simple in its overall production value, but uh, he, he himself really connects well on the camera with people. He's a nice guy and he really liked to hear what he thinks about things. And he has an interesting history working in the early days of uh, Sierra Online, which was one of my favorite game publishers as a kid. So all these little connections that I was able to make with him really got me engaged in his content. And he produced a lot of longer form stuff, which I was doing at the time and still do now. And it was really intriguing to see how he kept the audience engaged, really uh, focused his content properly, very uh, smartly and efficiently delivered things to people. And uh, that was something that really influenced how I should interact with my audience. Again, I'm not copying what he does. Does, but I really took to uh, how he engaged his audience and how his personality just kind of came through on the video. And it helped me 
uh, kind of uh, loosen up a bit to uh, be better in front of the camera. My early videos, I don't like at all. I really cringe when I see a lot of them. And I'm sure a few years from now, I'll probably cringe at the videos I'm doing now. But in looking at that older content, I do think that you're getting more of me now than you were back then. I think I wasn't as relaxed in front of the camera. I think I was screaming a little too much at the beginning of some of my videos. I really cringe at that. So I've really focused on uh, finding ways to just relax better. And the only way you can really evaluate this stuff is to do the videos, upload them, see how people react to those videos, and then watch yourself, which is often very hard to do. But uh, the more you watch yourself, the better used to watching yourself you'll get. And that will certainly help you improve. Because if you make yourself cringe, then you know you've got to maybe be a little more like yourself. Because I typically cringe when I'm not being me, and those videos were not always me. They usually got to me as I kind of settled down into the video, but uh, there are things that I'm always trying to improve. I'm trying to talk slower. I'm trying to present myself better, and those are things that I'm always looking to, and I'm often looking for inspiration from other creators to see how uh, they've evolved over time as well. So I hope that answers your questions. It's certainly a lot more than I'm betting a lot of you expected to get, but I really do like sharing with you what I'm learning here Uh, creating a channel from scratch, which is what I did about three or four years ago. So it's possible uh, to do what I am doing. You just have to spend the time and know that you're going to be spinning your wheels for a while as you figure out who you are and figure out who your audience is. That takes time, and the only way you can do it is to start. So if you got some idea, just start. Who cares? It's not going to cost you anything. Uh, Take a shot and see where it it takes you. And uh, Metal Jesus here certainly did quite well at that. And now it's time for a QA and a for you. And one of the things that I am uh, planning to do at some point, maybe uh, later in this year or early next year, is starting a regular live stream. You all know I pop on randomly from time to time, but I really would like to uh, set up a time every week, especially when I get some staff on board to help me with this, where I will pop on and we'll do something. And I've been thinking about and watching what other folks are doing, some competitive intelligence, I guess, there, uh, to see what works and what doesn't work. And some people just pop on and just say hello to the audience and do some Q&A and stuff. But I've been thinking, like, I really would like to do, uh, not necessarily a show, but do a topic of some kind. And I'd love to hear from you as to uh, the kind of live stream topics you would like to see. Some things I'm kicking around are maybe playing a game that runs on low-end computers every week or so, or maybe uh, focusing on some bit of news that might be coming out. Not necessarily, again, doing a whole produced show, but having something that at least launches the uh, topic of the live stream that becomes the basis for whatever engagement that we have. So I'd just love to hear what you uh, think about that. When I was in college, we had a a campus TV news show that I was on. I was the weatherman, and it was uh, Fridays at 4, which I always liked that concept. Now, granted, everybody's in a different time zone that watches this channel, but I was thinking of replicating that Fridays at 4 and uh, make that like a set time every day, every week, where I uh, do something live. But I really want to do something more than just pop on and, and, and read what you write to me on screen. I do want to do that. I do want to have some Q&A, but I also want to do something of value in those live streams. I'd love to hear from you as to what I should think about doing for Fridays at 4. Now it's time for our channel of the week, and we're going to talk this week about Epos Vox. He does a lot of great content on his channel. It's a tech channel, of course. He is a, a very hardworking guy and produces Uh, at least three videos every week. He says three plus videos every week, and I uh, definitely feel his pain in keeping up that uh, level of production. He does a lot of educational content as well as reviews, and if you are not subscribed, definitely check him out. He's almost to 70,000, so he is on his way, and I uh, strongly urge you to uh, check him out. He's got a great voice, a lot better than mine, so I think you'll enjoy listening to him as well as watching him. So what's coming up this week on the channel? I've got a bunch of stuff in mind. Uh, The big thing is going to be taking a look at the first computer to reach my door with an MX 
150 GPU from NVIDIA. This is their new low-cost mobile part. It's the same, actually, though, as the GTX 1030 desktop processor. So it's a Pascal-based GPU, not as powerful as the more expensive stuff, but I've got a $600 Acer that I bought from Micro Center. You can see the unboxing on the Extras channel, and we'll be uh, running some games on this thing and seeing what we can do with it. Uh, my early results on this is that it is a pretty sizable bump over the MX940, which has been the low-end GPU on many computers we've looked at over the last two years. And it gets you to a 1080p point on many games that the 940 MX could not get to on. So we'll be looking at that. I've got a bunch of games I'll be looking at and uh, make some suggestions down below. I can't promise you all those games will make it into the video, but we'll definitely look at more games than less uh, in this review of that Acer laptop. And I'm sure we'll be seeing uh, more of these coming in very shortly with uh, other manufacturers' badges on them. What really intrigues me is this new Xiaomi uh, Air 13. So we looked at that one about a year ago, a very compact uh, Windows-based PC, really, really nice computer. That had a 940 MX. The new version of that now has the MX150. That's going to be a real hot ticket, a uh, 13-inch laptop with a pretty decent GPU on it. So we will try to get that one in, too. I'm going to do an update on Plex. They've made some changes, good changes, to their DVR with some time shifting, and they've expanded uh, compatibility now with additional Android devices. So I'll show you how that works in an upcoming video. I'm also going to take a look at Parsec, which is a game streaming software. It's a free service. It runs on your computer, and you can stream games in your home or out of the home. We'll look at how it might compare to Moonlight and to Steam in-home streaming. What's neat about this is that it does run on a Raspberry Pi, too, so we'll look at that. And they have some ways that you can actually connect up with an Amazon-hosted server and play games over the net on a very powerful hosted computer. That does come with a cost, and I'll explain how all of that works, but there's some pretty cool ways you could have your Steam library be in the cloud and allow you to play the games that you've bought on a computer with a lot of horsepower and then stream it back over the internet to yourself. We'll be exploring how all of that works in our review of Parsec. And they have a uh, fingerprint reader coming up also from Kensington that we'll be uh, taking a look at. And who knows what else will pop up here uh, as the week goes on. Now, if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv slash Patreon and make a monthly contribution to the channel. We have our tip jar set up at lon.tv slash tip jar for a one-time contribution. And if you are overseas, we take PayPal at lon at lon.tv. I'll be updating the end credits for everybody that contributed last month, probably uh, Monday or Tuesday of next week of this week. So this video will probably not have the new credits, but uh, Tuesday or Wednesday's videos will. So you'll see your name up there if you don't see it yet. So be on the lookout for that. And we have our ongoing relationship with Plex. So if you go on to Plex.tv and just sign up for their free account, no credit card required, we get a commission for that. We also, of course, get a commission if you sign up for a Plex Pass subscription. And if you already have one, you can give one to somebody else and we'll get a commission for that as well. So be sure to check out Plex. Now you're watching this channel, but I actually have other channels too. You can go to lon.tv slash extras for my unboxing channel. That is a great resource for you, but also for me because I can see what early interests there are amongst my subscribers for an item that I'm unboxing. So that uh, laptop I just mentioned with the MX150 GPU on board has had over a thousand views already. That's a pretty strong showing on the Extras channel. So that really helps me quite a bit. And I think you might like watching me take things out of boxes. I never thought people would, but apparently people do. Uh, we also have the podcast up at lon.tv slash podcast. That link is now working. It wasn't working before. 
I am on just about every major audio directory for podcasts that's out there. You can hear this show in its entirety in audio form. If I'm uh, too long for YouTube, you can take me with you in the car or on a run or something. I also have interviews up there, which I do on the YouTube channel. A lot of those do better in audio format from a viewership perspective or a listenership perspective, so I put them all up there as well. We have the Snippets channel at lon.tv slash snippets, where I pull things out of this video and others that I do on the channel and make them more search-friendly. And then, of course, my live stream playlist is at lon.tv slash live stream, so you can see hours of me fiddling around with equipment that I try to get working. It's a lot of entertainment, at least I'm told it is. And then we've got the little notification bell here, which if you are liking what I do, I do uh, urge you to click it so that YouTube always puts this stuff in front of you when I upload it so we can increase that uh, subscriber percentage even further. That bell really does make a difference, and I'm finding I'm not missing the stuff that I really want to see from my favorite creators also as a result for the things that I watch. So uh, it does work, and I do suggest clicking on it to get all the stuff from me. You can engage with me on my email list. I finally sent out an email last week, and I'm probably going to do one this week. We have the Facebook page where I post a lot of stuff throughout the week as well at lon.tv slash Facebook, and the store at lon.tv slash store. I do have some more stuff that I'm going to put up this week. I'm a little ahead finally on uh, my to-do list, so I'm hoping towards the middle to the end of next week to start uh, getting some stuff ready for sale. These are things that I reviewed here on the channel and now getting rid of. Got a couple of studio cameras that I'm going to probably part with also because I have upgraded, so I might uh, put one of those HFG 30s up on the store. And what you can do is sign up for this email alert. So every time I do add something or change a price, uh, you will get a notification as to when those items go live. So be on the lookout for that. That's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I am shooting this on Sunday because my wife and kids left the house to go to the beach for a little while. So there's no rest for the weary, but I'm now a day ahead of schedule here. So that is always a good thing. Please keep those questions and comments coming down below in the comment stream and anywhere else you'd like to contact me. I really appreciate it. I don't always get to every comment, but I do read everything I get. So thank you all for your continued support. And we're going to keep slowly and steadily rising up, hopefully, uh, on the viewership and subscriber count. And I want to thank all of you for spending some of your day with me. Thanks for watching, and this is Lon Seidman. This channel is brought to you by my Patreon supporters, including gold-level supporters, the Tangential Soup Podcast, and Chris Allegretta. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash Patreon to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.